0: Hey there, it's Rob from the Grim Tidings Podcast, with your chance to win an autographed copy of Red Sister by Mark Lawrence on paperback. All you have to do is email us. It's grimdarkfiction at gmail.com. That's grimdarkfiction at gmail.com. In the subject line, write Red Sister Mr., and in the body of the email, write your name and address. Open worldwide, and the very first person to email us after this episode drops gets an autographed copy of Red Sister. And be sure to drop by our Facebook group, Grimdark Fiction Readers and Writers. All month long during the month of April, the book of the month will be Red Sister. Thanks again to Mark Lawrence and Ace Publishing, and we do hope you enjoy part two of our interview with Mark Lawrence. This is our podcast for readers, writers, and creators. It is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the life of your favorite authors. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet, including Joe R. Lansdale, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Stephen Graham Jones, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. This episode is brought to you by Sigil Independent, showcasing the best in self-published fantasy online at sigilindependent.com or find them on Facebook at Sigil Independent. There you'll find a collective of great authors, including past GTP guests Rob J Hayes, Dirk Ashton, Ben Galley, and more. And for a limited time, you can get a free ebook sampler. Featuring 10 authors jam-packed with 500 pages of fantasy fiction. Just visit sigilindependent.com download and get your free copy today. Sigil Independent. Serious self-published fantasy for serious fantasy fans.
1: Archivos, the new story development application from Wonder Thing Studios, will change the way you look at stories. Archivos takes a different approach to documenting your story setting. While most wikis and storytelling frameworks focus on documenting the elements of your stories, Archivos is more interested in the connections between those story elements. It's the relationships between characters and places and events that express the true structure and allure of your stories. As a storyteller, that's the awareness you need to strengthen and refine the crafting of your stories. Archivos really is the story development tool for today's storytellers. Learn more about Archivos at www.archivos.digital. That's A-R-C-H-I-V-O-S dot Archivos, your stories illuminated.
0: This episode is brought to you by The Heart of Stone by author Ben Galley. Merciless murderer monster. He's been called many names in his time, built for war and nothing else. He's witnessed every shade of violence humans know, and he's wrought his own masterpiece with their colors. He cared once, but far too long ago. He is bound to his task, dead to the chaos he wreaks for his masters. Now he has a new master to serve, and a new war to endure. In the far reaches of the realm, Heartland tears itself into two over coin and crown. This time he fights for a boy king and a general bent on victory. Beneath it all, he longs for change, for an end to this cycle of warfare. The Heart of Stone by Ben Galley, available now in ebook or paperback at bengalley.com. That's bengalley.com. Every fighter has a last fight even a fighter made of stone. This is author Raymond V. Feist. Hi, this is R. Scott Baker. This is Anthony Ryan. The Grim Tidings Podcast welcomes Delilah S. Dawson to the show. Delilah, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is literary agent Mark Gottlieb from Trident Media Group. This is David nath Hi, this is Melanie Matters. Hi, this is Brian Stavely. Hello,
2: this is Jesse
0: Bullington slash Alex Marshall. Hi, this is Jeff Salyards. Hi, this is Michael R. Fletcher. The Grim Tidings Podcast proudly welcomes Steven Erickson to the show.
2: Thank you for inviting me I'm looking forward Hi, this is Mark Lawrence, author of Red Sister, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings Podcast.
0: So we've discussed Grimdark on the show uh, with numerous voices in fantasy, including Steven Erickson, R. Scott Baker, Joe Abercrombie, Deborah A. Wolf, Anna Smith-Spark, and many, many more. I think in nearly every conversation, uh, Mark, your name is specifically referenced as well as your books. You've shared your thoughts online before, and we're glad to finally get you on the show on the podcast today. To finally set the record straight, uh, if you please, maybe tell us your thoughts on Grimdark, uh, the state of the subgenre today, and maybe where you see
2: it going. Yeah, I think I may be um, a bit disappointing here as a as an authority because uh, my my views have always been very vague um, and, and driven externally on the subject. I, I've blogged on it quite a bit, but there's always been really an effort to discover what it is. And as far as the state of the genre goes, I don't read very many books a year. I read about ten or twelve, and, and a lot of them, most of them, are not even vaguely grimdark. Uh, so I, I'm looking here. At The last exercise I did with this was to sort of crowdsource a definition of of Grimdark by um, getting readers to rate on a Grimdark scale uh, a whole bunch of authors. And the the plan was to to put people there who were often talked of as Grimdark, but also to go all the way down to ones that very clearly weren't and, and just establish that scale. And if I look at the, the, the list of the ones near the top, very few of them I've actually read. Um, mm. the, the, the most grim dark book that we were able to find was uh, Beyond Redemption by Michael R. Fletcher, uh, which which I haven't read. Uh, the next two are The Darkness That Comes Before and my own. And I, I have read The Darkness That Comes Before. And, and then it's uh, The Quarter Broken Knives by Anna Smith, Spark God Blind by Anna Stevens, Heroes Die steel remains black company by glenn cook and the blade itself by Joe crombie i read none of those apart from the quarter broken knives so that the two of the, the that list of the top nine or ten and top is advised here it just means these are books people thought were grimdark it doesn't mean they were people thought they were good books or better than the one that comes below them it's just a, a ranking in, in terms of that one dimension but the, the very small number of them i have read they, they share nothing in common and i'm sort of left flailing for what the common element is, what what the thing is that that affords them that that label. What do you guys think? Because there's this thing they say, oh, it's got to be morally grey but, you know, moral greyness isn't something that that, um, these books have uh, a licence on that appears all over the place. Uh, uh, They say, oh, they've got to be violent but there's plenty of violence in in loads of other books. Uh, They've got to be gory or they've got to be a crapsack world. Like, the the court of broken knives which i read recently there's nasty things that happen in it yeah some very nasty things but none of them are ever even vaguely explicit there's you know you really don't see the the knives go in and the 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 viscera and all these things and so compared to literally any horror book that you've ever read it's far less gory and and nasty i'm not saying that's that's a in any way detrimental to the book the the books uh, i advise people to go and read it's it's got a lot of um very interesting and good things going on in it but if you're talking about for example level of violence no it's not particularly violent um the, the thing i noticed about that book was that uh, the characters were really quite unlikable and that might be a uniting factor of these books that they, they have characters who are hard to like and that you may change your opinion of as the story goes on that that's the only thing i can really get a handle on for, from this list
3: i think i can uh End the grim dark conversation forever. I'm gonna end it forever. All right. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Yeah, go for it. So I think uh, I've done this hamburger analogy before. Do you remember the hamburger analogy? I remember. Bob? Yeah. So everyone has an ideal hamburger, right? Everybody, when they go order a hamburger, they they may like specific things on their hamburger. They may like pickles. They may like onions. They may like mustard. Whatever. Uh, Some people may like barbecue sauce or fucking fried onions or whatever. Mm. Whatever. Tasty. Grimdark is like a hamburger in that it looks like a hamburger. It all has the shape of a hamburger, but everyone everyone's hamburger has different shit on it. Not literal shit, but different shit. Stuff. So I think Grimdark is kind of like that old philosophy. I I don't know what it is because I'm not that smart, but. Basically, when you have an ideal version of something that exists in your head, that is what Grimdark is as a genre. Whatever little boxes you want to tick off for whatever you imagine Grimdark is, that's what people tick off. If people think Grimdark's gory, that's their lettuce. If they think it's uh, great characters, that's their pickles, whatever. So they're checking off these things that they identify as the ideal Grimdark idea but nobody's right, and nobody will ever be right. Because What's the constant? What's the hamburger buns? Yeah,
2: the bun and the meat, that's the constant. It's a, yeah, it's but what, a what do they map onto in terms of uh, property of a book, though, that we can recognize? I would so I- say it's, it's like
3: the kind of canvas, in a way. I think the only thing that seems to be uniting is uh, the dark
2: element Whatever that dark is, just the word dark. I mean, you might be right, um, but it's it's difficult to de- define because people talk about crapsack worlds, and then they say, "Oh, you know, the, the, this world is um, that these books are set in is always terrible." But you know, a lot of that is because of the eyes that you are seeing it through. So, um, in Prince of Thorns versus Prince of Fools, you are seeing exactly the same world at the same time through the eyes of two very different people. So, um, in Jorg's view, everything is everything but it's it's fairly dark and there's a fairly negative cynical spin on everything uh and in um, Jalen's view he looks at the same stuff and he's got a lot more optimistic uh, outlook on it uh, and really thinking about how he can have fun with it or sex with it or eat it you know so so yeah it's the eye of the beholder i don't think the we're necessarily talking about the intrinsic um, nature of these worlds we're just talking about how the character who the story's being told about sees them or what what parts of those worlds for, for all we know, just round the corner from wherever George having a bad time, there are people sitting down to their Sunday lunch having a great time and, you know, whooping it up and they go on to live long, happy lives. Uh, well, he's killing three three bears. One, one of the things I noticed about the, um, this, this this chart of mine is that the it's ranked by the averages on these polls that I took for each book. So for Prince of Thorns, there's a, there's a poll and if you click on it, uh, you see that 600 people voted on it. Five of those people it's, it's on a scale of one to five and one is not grim dark and five is as grim dark as any book gets five of the people who answered said that it's not grim dark at all uh, and nine of them <laughs> gave it a two out of um of five so you know there's, there's a uh, a wide variety of opinions there are no books on this list that somebody didn't say this book's not grim dark at all none none of them at all uh, so people's opinions just vary wildly and and we just have to go for sort of the uh the average it's a uh, a nebulous term that floats over an area of fiction.
0: Would you say, overall, is calling it Grimdark
2: a bad thing, though, Mark, or is it a good thing? Oh no, well, I don't think you can talk. I mean, it's part of group, Grimdark books, is that it, concepts like good and evil, um, and similarly, good and bad um, are all dependent on your, your point of view and, and not really very useful labels. Is Grimdark as a term good or bad? It, it depends who's using it and why. It's a useful marketing tool. It can be useful to readers in order to pull them towards other books that share something in common with books they enjoyed. But it can also be used dismissively by people to say, I'm never going to read one of those books because it's grimdark. And then that's a dismissive way of, of lumping together a significant area number of books that are all very different in many ways. That they might well enjoy, um, and, and it can also be weaponized and used as a, a, a pejorative term um, to insult readers or authors. So yeah, it, it's it's just a, a word, and like a tool as well. It, it can be turned to many uses. Well,
3: I was gonna say, I think grimdark is like an infle- its an inflection. However, you use the inflection. Uh, like if you said the term, ah, this book's hot shit. That that's like good inflection, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you said, oh, this book's hot shit. <laughs> That's what Grimdark is. It's like depends on your inflection.
2: Yeah. All all of these things are useful in some sense and not in others. Um, And I have never had any... I mean, I've never heard of Grimdark before I got published. Um, I've never heard of Joe Abercrombie, to be honest, or or, um, Backer or any of the um, people who are often talked about in the area. And as you can tell by my interest in moving around the map, uh, I certainly don't want to be carrying the label as a burden where anything I write because I've written it is described as grimdark and then a whole bunch of people say, I don't read grimdark, we'll never touch it. That's obviously not something that's useful to me. But I'm not being negative about it. It it is a a useful label to to attract people to certain books. Because you liked this other book that was also called grimdark, you might like this one. And I think that's that's valid and true. But yeah, I I don't want to be described as a grimdark author. I'd rather be described as an author who has in the past and may in the future write grimdark. I mean you asked about um, where I thought it was going and I sort of jumped bailed on that one because I don't really have a, a good overview of the, um, the subgenre or, or fantasy as a whole. Sometimes people have put it to me that that um, I was one of the last gasps of a subgenre that had already started to, to leave the map uh, and other times people will say oh there's a, a ton of great grimdark and it's a growing swelling area. Maybe I should ask you guys I mean what was the last big-selling Grimdark book that was published?
0: Uh, I'd say the past year would be, I guess The Court of Broken Knives was probably the most
2: notable Grimdark release, I think. Okay, so uh, take it back to, like, 2011, if you like, since Prince of Thorns, um, and I'm talking now about not new ones that are interesting, and we don't know what's going to happen to them, because uh, you know, like, Court of Broken Knives it, it could sell millions. We, we don't know. It's too early to tell. Mm-hmm. But What's really out there that, that you can point out and say, yeah, this has sold significant quantities compared to um, all the books that people have been getting excited about uh, at the same time in, in fantasy. And I, I can't name them, but I don't know if that's because I just haven't read enough or that they don't exist. Ah. I mean, what I'm saying is there hasn't been an Abercrombie um, book that, that counts as well. Has there, has there been a, another grim, dark Abercrombie book since then? I think uh, Beyond Redemption um, has gone on
0: to cr- to develop. Yeah,
2: it's had great crit- critical acclaim in, in the right. circles i moved in but I'm not sure it counts as a book that, that ah. most people. If you picked a, uh, somebody browsing the fantasy section in in, in Barnes and Noble, would they have heard of it? I don't know. Actually, it, it actually didn't sell that well and didn't get published and picked up for the sequel.
0: So yeah, so I, that, guess. I guess that's
2: that's my question, and it's not mm-hmm. it's not anywhere an accusation or a statement. It's a question: right. is is Grimdark flourishing in terms of sales and market percentage, as opposed to critically? Because I'm sure that there's brilliant books coming out all the time, um, but brilliance is never a guarantee of sales. But in terms of the, the economics of it and the commercial side, is is there really um, is Grimdark something that's fading or growing?
3: I think from in the regards of fantasy or sci-fi, which is more of our wheelhouse, uh, there's probably not any big blockbuster books coming out. But in terms of like thrillers maybe uh stuff like gone girl uh has a very kind of grimdark vibe to it even though it's not fantasy uh, the characters are very uh dark (laughs) there's lots of dark shit that happens and like you said like horror the horror genre it it has dark elements to it Uh, i think you could tie that into grimdark in a way because it's that feeling
2: yeah i think that was that was my feeling and it again it's just a hunch. That Although there's a thriving community of grimdark authors, that in terms of commercial success on a large scale, really I see grimdark mentioned mostly to do with how its effect on films and how they're going to bring back characters and now show you them in a more grimdark manner like, I don't know, Batman or Superman or, or, or Logan, that, that they are using that aesthetic to present these, these characters in slightly different lights. I think Grimdark is growing in the area of cool
0: ass podcasts, at least. So yeah,
2: certainly cutting edge stuff there. Yeah. Yes, absolutely.
3: Well, I think even like Grimdark, Grimdark magazine is an example of uh, as a genre. It's it maybe maybe there's no big blockbuster author at the moment that's like selling like crazy, but as a genre and it's like a like uh, compare it to like a big big name actor versus a great ensemble cast i think grimdark is like a great ensemble cast where all 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 the authors are doing good stuff and maybe collectively they're they're doing well Uh, grimdark uh collections uh and and grimdark magazines doing well so more collectively i think it's as as a genre instead of like one big name author that i can
2: So that that was my feeling, but it was only a feeling and maybe you're confirming Mm -hmm. it. It seems to be an area where there's uh, a lot of great authors doing exciting work and there's a great community and lots of stuff bubbling around. And hopefully somebody will will bubble up to the surface and really hit it big and and see uh, another wave after them. But in terms of because I often see people on forums and decrying how grimdark has taken over and how they can't find any books that aren't (laughs) grimdark. and it just doesn't seem right to me because i'm saying well who are all these grimdark authors who are selling big i'm seeing all these um non-grimdark authors selling in huge amounts and and every grimdark author is is looking at them going i wish i could have those sales while simultaneously being accused of having dominated the market and it just doesn't really ring true to me so grimdark maybe not necessarily going to make you a ton of
0: cash but big following lots of cool authors big community cool podcasts etc fun yeah Great fun. But not necessarily going to make you
2: loads of money. Well, uh, I hopefully guess. it's going to make a load of money for someone soon. It's just, yeah. I'm, I'm not seeing it right now, that's all. That's a good point. Well, I think, it, I think it can be, like
3: I said, like a collective thing. I think it can grow more as a uh, tight-knit community. And I think that's where the next big name's going to come from. It is one of these kind of very supportive, hardcore community. So, I think that's kind of how uh i think grimdark tends to be more grassroots style almost Uh, there's there's a lot more indie authors coming up that are writing grimdark stuff and uh it it feels more like it's coming from the ground up rather than there's a big there's a big buzz about it at the moment um that's maybe
2: displaced (laughs) i don't know yeah um and that sounds very healthy to me I mean, lots of um, enormous selling books have started from um, you know, the self-published ranks and, and from these communities that, that you're talking about hopefully it's going to happen soon for somebody
0: Yes, let's dive into um, Spiffbo, the self-published fantasy blog off is an annual online contest highlighting the best in fantasy fiction. We actually highlighted the best of Spiffbo 2016, where we invited the top three authors and a blogger on the show to talk all things Spiffbo. So be sure to check the show notes in the archive, Um, and especially um, if you're an author looking to self-publish, you'll definitely want to check out that episode. Uh, But Mark, we wanted to pick your brain a little bit on Spiffbo. What led you to uh, create
2: the self-publishing fantasy blog off? I think there's two main factors. Uh, One is survivor guilt. You you asked me before about my route into publication, and I felt that uh, there was an enormous amount of planets aligning and and good luck there, that it's not enough to have written a great book or a good book. You also have to be lucky. And then having felt that that happened to me, you just feel that uh, it's survivor guilt. You know, it's the person who... Staggers out of the train and everyone else is dead and they feel guilty because even though they didn't do anything um, to, to make those other people um, not survive, uh, it's just a part of human nature. Um, and so to sort of pay karma back in some small degree, I, I felt that um, wouldn't it be nice if, if we um, did something that would find some great books that might otherwise not have been found? And I noticed that uh, one of the peak complaints people are always making about self-published work, rightly or wrongly, um, was that there was so much out there, it was hard to know where to begin, and they were afraid of dipping their toe in in case it got bitten. They chose some books at random, and they, and they didn't turn out to be good. So Spiffbow was um, a mechanism whereby we could uh, take in a, a large number of books, it's f- about 300 each year, farm them out to 10 blogs that are um, well-respected, and have those bloggers tell us. Which are they, in their opinion, are the, the best of, of the crop? Um, and that would then encourage people to give them a try. And then once they tried those ones, maybe they would then branch out and start making their own decisions. And it just seemed like a good thing to do. Um, the other side is, is uh, just fun. And I, I like contests, and charts, and scoreboards, and all of that stuff. And, and I thought of a way I could do that which didn't involve me having to do an awful lot of work I I could like crowdsource that like the the people thank me for doing this but it's the bloggers who have done all the work the the, the writers have done enormous amount of work writing their books but it's the bloggers who then go and read lots of them and write the reviews and and I just put it on a little chart and tweet some results so um, yeah it's the bloggers who deserve any praise there Um, and I, I have fun doing it. You're the chart master.
0: I am indeed. It's probably that, that PhD in mathematics probably scratches that math itch you
2: get once in a while. Yeah, you know, I do a lot. If you look on my blog, I do a lot of um, charts and plots and polls and statistics um, okay. just because I'm a numbers guy and there's a part of my brain that is always wanting to to analyze it. I don't want to get a math itch. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a good topical cream for that. <laughs>
3: There've been some success stories that have come out of Spiffbo. Uh for example, Josiah Bancroft and Jonathan French. Uh and there are multiple others. Uh we see every day uh authors who have uh gone on to get more success and more exposure from Spiffbo. What are some
2: happy stories you've heard in relation to Spiffbo besides those two biggest ones? Clearly those were great results. Um two books that didn't have a very large following and most people had never heard of. And and the net result of going through the the process was that they um, came to light and and lots of people are now reading them. But I think it's important to make clear that the goal of Spifbo is not to sift through a whole bunch of self-published works in order to give them the the glowing trophy of traditional publication. It, It was never that. Because mm-hmm. that that saying that traditional publication is what you're all you're all aiming for right. and is somehow better than what you've got, it was simply to give them publicity. And I know from both those guys that it wasn't a clear cut decision. And I know other guys who have had offers and have decided not to take them because it really isn't a clear cut decision. You know, um, there are no guarantees, uh, and you can end up making less money the traditional route and having fewer readers than the, the self published route. And you also see the a, a whole bunch of control. So those are great stories, but they're not necessarily a measure of success. The measure of success is that, uh, that the book that rises to the top of those charts and, and becomes the, uh, the best book and the one that comes second and third and the top ten finalists, that they all get some sort of boost and they end up with more readers and success. However, you define success and success may be to continue to self-publish. Uh, and just have a lot of readers and and make their living that way. That's that would be um, in no way not as good as getting someone offering you a traditional deal. Yeah, I think uh, for example,
3: like Dirk Ashton is a is an example of someone who I hadn't heard of uh, up until Spiffbo, and then then I saw him everywhere, and he's like one of the coolest guys you can ever talk to. And I think not only has Spiffbo inter- introduced uh, more. Uh, self-published writers to the world um, but it's also like you said narrowed it down more and now we're seeing a lot more presence of these people and their names click uh, so I think it, it's a good chance for them to uh, take the opportunity that are given and it's kind of like you know any kind of competition uh, you make the most of your opportunity and, and then see where it takes you and I think uh, Josiah and Jonathan are good examples of uh, some some form of success but i think other other people have just gotten that so that so much exposure from it um that for me as a self-published writer uh that's one of my goals for the future is to enter uh spiff so i'm officially throwing down my gauntlet oh <laughs> watch out for the next the next
2: one which i hope there's a next one so i can enter it yeah I'd, uh again not a planner so it <laughs> sort of depends how, how this one goes but it, it seems to be going well and there's it's a very good chance it will roll on and uh, and do another one um you, you were talking about success stories um so um phil tucker who i think came second um Last mm-hmm. year, he's just gone on to uh, produce more and more books in his series at an enormous rate of knots. And, and he's doing fine. And I can't speak for him, but it's entirely possible that he has already been offered a traditional deal or he may be soon. And he may well have already or may well be going to turn that down just because he wants to do that. And that's success. One of our semi-finalists I saw this week, she goes by L Penelope by the looks of it wrote a, a song of blood and stone um, and she's just uh, taken up a traditional deal. So wow. uh, hopefully she's going to go into great things as well.
0: It's been a great contest uh, for sure. Uh, no doubt it's, it has highlighted uh, I think the cream of the crop when it comes to uh, self-published uh, fantasy novels for sure and we we definitely appreciate um, your mentality of helping out those who are doing great work but maybe need a little bit of a boost when it comes to publicity and we take that same sort of mentality on the show of finding authors who are doing great stuff and we may reach out to them after we see their work and uh, want to uh, spread the word as well so we, we adopt that same mentality with uh, helping those in need uh, in the genre and, and helping give them a signal boost and your signal be boosting us by coming on the podcast again today so we appreciate that and we try to reciprocate that to some authors that we bring on the show as well so good stuff all around but i wanted to ask you Marco, what tips would you give to uh, future authors like
2: philip overby
0: who want to enter the Spiffboat contest in the future
2: well obviously send your name and book in um it's not hard <laughs> uh there's, there's no filtering process um Uh, We just say, uh, if you've written a fantasy book, send it in. And and if you're one of the first 300 to do so, then you'll be on the list. It is worth noting, and this goes to what you just said about finding the cream of the crop, that this is simply a filter. Um, It's another net, but it has large holes that you can fall through. The 10 blogs that are involved each year are ones that I (laughs) reach out to. And I only reach out to them because, first of all, I know about them. And second of all, I think I'm going to get a good reaction from them, and that the reason for that is that they are tend to be people who have in the past reviewed my books and interacted with me, and that instantly puts, um, it instantly colours their own likes. They're a very diverse bunch, uh, and they do uh, cover the board in terms of subgenres, but there's still a focus there, and it means that if you have a particular type of self-published fantasy book, um, you're going to have to work a lot harder to reach that finalist table than if you have something that is fitting in with their core interests. So, for example, I think this is just my impression, but if you were to have a a young adult fantasy, uh, a fantasy with uh, heavy romance elements in it, and even although Dirk Ashton, who we just spoke about, came third uh, with an urban fantasy, I think urban fantasy, again, would just have to work that little bit harder just because if you look at the average tastes of those 10 bloggers, it's more focused on... The epic side of things so it's wrong to say to just call the winners the cream of the crop because they've been filtered in that sense they are the cream of a crop but there are plenty of brilliant fantasy books out there that might not fare so well in in spiffbo just because they are um, on the periphery of the interests of the bloggers involved so that's a interesting point
3: uh, that leads to my next question and related to uh, other people creating similarly constructed blog-offs. How would you feel if, uh, uh, if you saw more of these kind of splinter off from your own uh, original idea and then there were more sort of people doing a similar kind
2: of thing? That would be great. People should do it. Um, I, I keep getting uh, questions from science fiction writers who say, oh, we're only going to run one of these for science fiction. Um, and some of them are fairly bullish about it. But my response is, I'm just doing this for fun because I felt like it. And what you need to do is get somebody else to run one for science fiction. And that would be great. They should do it. Uh, And similarly, um, if people feel that the types of self-published fantasy that they are most interested in are not getting a fair shake of that stick from Spiffbo, make one that has that area as your focus. And best of luck to you. And and I will even help publicize
0: it. Yeah, and the uh, SPIFFO 2017 is currently underway as we record this. I'm not sure where it's going to be in the process of when we release this podcast, but uh, hashtag SPFBO if you wanted to follow the goings-on of finding the cream of a crop. When it comes to self-published fantasy, it's a great contest and a great way to uh, just kind of highlight some good stuff that's happening out there in the self-published world. Uh, with that, I wanted to transition into uh, we, we're, we're running out of time here, so we're just going to get a few more questions in and wrap this bitch up and uh, call it a day here. But I wanted to get a few uh, writerly questions in for you, Mark. You, you kind of know how to write a little bit, and uh, we've got a few writers who listen to the show. And uh, I think it'd be cool to just kind of tap into your brain for a moment and share some writerly wisdom you mentioned earlier you uh, write like a reader. Could you maybe unpack that just a little bit more about what you do when you write like a reader?
2: I'm just writing essentially. I I start off typing and the the ideas just come off the the tips of my fingers and I'm always asking questions. I'm always saying, well, what if this happened? It, it's i've in the past likened it to a, to dreaming in a sense a sort of a lucid dream where you're just having a, a flow of consciousness and the ideas are coming to you and people ask me why did you do this and in, in this book i don't have an answer i just did it this is, makes as much sense to me as why did you dream about an eagle you know carrying you off last night no it's just a dream it just happened it's just imagination it, it just rolls it's not it's not a strategic thing i'm not trying to sell you anything I, i'm not trying to push a message I, it's just, just um, what if questions
0: and i guess i'd ask you then what's the best bit of writing advice you could give to an author looking to follow in your footsteps as a fantasy novelist if there's one piece of advice you could give
2: well all devices are different um and so no piece of advice is good for everyone and every piece of advice is bad for someone i guess my most general piece of writing advice is you've got to write about something that, that you care about and there'll be somebody out there saying bollocks. But I feel that's true, that if you don't really care about it, if you're not emotionally invested, then it will show. And I would never personally try and write to fill a market or to please somebody who wasn't me. And I think that's probably good advice for most people, that you, you really want to find something you're passionate about before you start writing or, or as you're writing. You know, As soon as you lose interest in what you're writing, chances are everybody else will too.
0: And what would you say is kind of the worst advice that you kind of see popularized and going around that you kind of say, that's bullshit. I don't know why anybody says that. Is there any kind of bad writerly advice that you'd like to clear
2: up out there? Every piece of writerly advice that is given to you without the caveats that I just gave is bad every time somebody says you must do something it's bad even if it turns out to be great advice for you it's still bad if somebody says your first draft will be shit and that's what i see a lot mm-hmm. it's not true for me you you read my first draft essentially when you pick up the books and some people don't think they're shit but it might be true for someone else so it's as they're being too definite if somebody says you have to do this you have to, to do 10 drafts you have to write so many thousand words a day you have as soon as i say you have to that, just dismiss it well not dismiss it but dismiss the you have to bit and, and just consider it and think about whether it's going to work for you
0: and what other genres would you like to write in? Are there anything outside of genre fiction, like science fiction or fantasy? Do you want to do some romance? I did see some poetry available at your website, so you kind of you're versatile.
2: Yeah, I think I've really done it all already. It might not be in print, but but I've written, as I say, a thriller. I've written science fiction, fantasy, um, poetry. Um, I would, as a challenge, I'd sort of vaguely like to write some some literary fiction that just. You know, there's no crime. There's, there's no world ending. There's no science fiction. It's just a situation with people um, and the ideas and themes that you can uh, cast some light on by the interaction of those people. But it's, it's not something I feel I want to do more than the things I'm doing right now. I, you know, if I had many lives or I was going to live 200 years, I'd like to do that. But I'm not sure I ever will just because I'll always find something I want to do a little bit more. Philip,
0: did you have any uh, writerly advice you wanted to preen from Mr. Lawrence's brain before we uh, wrap up the show here? Since you're an aspiring novelist, a short fiction writer. I'm a writer.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't write very much, though, these days. Uh, I'm doing lots of creative stuff. So do you think other doing other creative things is good for writers, not just doing writing, but uh, fiddling about with sketches or making maps or whatever kind of shit people like to do?
2: Yeah, uh, anything that exercises your imagination. I mean, as I said before, that like my writing foundation was um, from running these these play by mail games and, and earlier before that, just doing the D&D games. Uh, I, I certainly would never advise people to just try and port their D&D game into a book. But but just exercising your informa- your imagination is, is a, a very valid thing to do. Um, Again, you know, the map stuff, uh, it's not something that, that works for me. I, I'd never draw a map before I start writing the book, but many people do, and it, they find it, it helps it helps them structure the, the, the book before they start writing, gives them ideas. All of those things are great, but you've got to stop doing them at some point and start writing, uh, <laughs> hitting those keys, otherwise it's just not going to happen. But in chair. That's the one.
0: And uh, we do have some, uh, just a couple of Patreon questions. Uh, patreon.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can submit questions, find out who's coming on the show, get exclusive content, and much more. So, again, that's patreon.com slash the Grim Tidings Podcast. Uh, Patreon question uh, Will Mark be at BristolCon this year? You are based in Bristol. Are you going to be at BristolCon again?
2: Yeah, what I do is um, because I have very little time and, and um, my. Um Availability is uncertain because of medical crises where my daughter is. I I tend to just go and sit in the bar outside because I I know I'm just going to want to drink and chat the whole time um, and there's a bar right outside and and that's where I've been the last few years um, and I fully intend to go down there this year. Uh, I met, as you said, Dirk Ashton um, there this last year um, who's a a great guy and I met a whole bunch of people who'd come from all across. One guy had come from Greece, uh, a a lady had come from um, Finland um, and these are people I've known on the internet, uh, and it's great to put faces to them and just sit down and have a chat. Yeah, IRL. Meet the people in
0: person. That's cool. And then uh, another Patreon question here. It says, uh, with Horseman of the Apocalypse hopefully coming through soon, will we have any other cool little projects from Mark that showcase his his imagination outside of novels?
2: I hope so. Um, the, the Horseman of the Apocalypse is a, it's a card game, um, and... I put my, it's, I invented it and I, I put my name to the, to the Kickstarter, um, but I had absolutely no control over it from that point. And unfortunately, it has ground on for a, a good number of years. And because I didn't feel I could in, a, in good conscience do anything else until this had been finished, you know, I absolutely have refused to be involved in any kickstartery uh, anthologies or anything because I'm just not going to tout something on Kickstarter when I've got this one hanging over me that, that hasn't been satisfied. Mm-hmm. But, um, when it is satisfied, yeah, I'd be, um, very interested to do a whole bunch of things that have been occurring to me over the years. And that I've just had to, to shelve because of this, um, commitment that I, I'm not going to get involved in that until the, the thing I've asked people to contribute to has actually happened. That makes sense.
0: And then the last Patreon question, this one's kind of funny. Uh, does the dinner setting at the Lawrence household include a fork, a plate, a napkin, and a stabby for each dinner? <laughs>
2: Well, I think if you actually got the stabby for each, what, what's happened in the past is they've um, sent you a dagger for the major awards, but the, the minor ones haven't. So um, I think I probably would have six or seven if I'd been given an actual dagger for each one. So we, we could have uh, in this mythical situation where we sit down to dinner and have dinner places, which never happens. Then, then yes, we, we could have a stabby each. <laughs> And uh, see, you did just win a stabby for uh, Red Sister. I did. Um, and a stabby for um, active author um, on, on the uh, R fantasy. Uh, and what I've said uh, is that um, I'm going <laughs> to retire for the next few years uh, because there's clearly a correlation that if you are a favorite author turning up on this this forum um, and I've won that one three years in a row it's gonna sway the odds in your favor on the book front as well um and it would just be nice if if, um somebody else could win best favorite author and um brandon sanderson did it the before me um he Mm. he's probably one of the reasons that i have able to to have won the best book twice was because he'd removed himself from the playing field uh, and it seemed fair for me to do that too so
0: multi-stabby award-winning author you must be proud
2: i'm very proud
0: and that's uh, reddit.com slash r slash fantasy is the group we keep referring to, our fantasy. If folks haven't got a chance to drop by that, there's like a billion people in there all talking there's about fantasy.
2: 250,000 of them. So it really is one of the most uh, active places for fantasy on the Internet. And you can
0: drop by there and interact with Mark often. He'll post blog posts and all sorts of cool stuff there and interact with you. And and uh, you're usually nice to people, too. So that's even better. I like it.
2: Well, usually, I, I certainly <laughs> on average, I'm nice to people. But um. Yeah, it's not a marketing thing. I go there because I enjoy it, so I get into the occasional fight uh, of keeping it real.
0: So we were just about out of time. Uh, we had time for a game, but I don't think we're going to have time to get that in. I think what we can do, though, is maybe get you back on the show once maybe Grey Sister's going to drop or something like that, and we could uh maybe have some happy fun game time um, and some comedy hijinks, I think, might be in store for next time you drop by. But I wanted to wrap up the show at this point and uh, let folks know they can drop by your blog. Um, they can follow you on social media. You're pretty much on every fucking platform out there. you just uh, actually gone on Instagram recently, too.
2: Yeah, it's true. I've, I've tried them all. Um, it, because I don't get out much, uh, I know my daughter doesn't allow me to travel, um, so my, my proxy is to, to spend a sad amount of time on the internet uh, and and poking my nose in various places. What are you currently working on then today? What's your current WIP? I'm writing the second book in this science fiction series because the deadline for that is September Um, because as I say once the first one comes out in 2019 they want to put the second and third one out in fairly short order so I've got this new trilogy coming out with um, Voyager after the Red Sister trilogy Um, And I've written most of, or more than half of, the first book of that, but I put it on hold just because these deadlines are more pressing. Well, Red Sister is
0: available now on Amazon. Grey Sister coming out in April, the sequel to the Book of the Ancestors series. More good shit forthcoming from Mark Lawrence. You can always drop by thatthornguy.com, the official fan site, to find out All you want to know, fan art, um, all sorts of cool stuff there. So be sure to drop by that website as well. But uh, Mark, on behalf of the Grimdark community and the fantasy community as a whole, thank you for your contributions, for taking the time away from writing to speak with us today. And thanks for writing such superb fiction. Best of luck. And thanks again for stopping by today. We appreciate it very much.
2: Thanks for having me. It's
0: been good. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Grim Tidings Podcast, available online at com or on Patreon at Patreon.com slash TheGrimTidingsPodcast. You can follow us on Twitter at GrimDarkFiction, and for daily updates on all things GrimDark, be sure to drop by our Facebook group at Grim Dark Fiction Readers and Writers. Thanks again for listening to this edition of The Grim Tidings Podcast. We'll see you next time. Hey there, it's Rob from The Grim Tidings Podcast, here to tell you all about Wizard World con season is upon us and wizard world is going across the country and where better to kick things off than in my hometown of portland oregon april 13th 14th and 15th wizard world comic-con is coming to the oregon convention center in portland featuring jason momoa from game of thrones sebastian stan from captain america michelle nichols from star trek bonnie wright from harry potter and many many more Wizard World Comic-Con events bring together thousands of fans of all ages to celebrate the best in pop culture, movies, television, gaming, live entertainment, comics, sci-fi, graphic novels, toys, original art, collectibles, contests, a dedicated kid's zone, and much more. And Grim Tidings podcast listeners can save 20% on tickets to The Portland Show. Just use the promo code Grim20 in the checkout. That's Grim20, and kids 10 and under are free with a paid adult. Get your tickets at wizardworld.com slash Comic-Con slash Portland. That's wizardworld.com slash Comic-Con slash Portland. It's Wizard World Comic-Con, April 13th, 14th, and 15th at the Oregon Convention Center in Portland. If you love the authors you've heard on the Grim Tidings podcast, then you'll love Grim Dark Magazine. Interviews, articles, reviews, and the premier magazine for Grim Dark Fiction by authors such as Mark Lawrence, R. Scott Baker, Deborah Wolfe, and more. Get knee-deep in grit. Log on to grimdarkmagazine.com.